Here it's the middle of a sermon that Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is the message. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing what God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And then it goes on to say that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor his flesh to see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Please keep your Bibles open and handy as we're going to uh, unpack this passage briefly. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that the message of Christmas does not end on that day he was born in Bethlehem. I thank you that the, the message of Christmas is as pertinent in the present tense as it ever has been. Oh Lord, I pray that you might help us to see it more clearly the eyes of our faith being opened that we might recognize even what the angels tried to figure out, what God was doing. And the answer, he was bringing a savior to this world. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When you think about the message of Christmas, there may be several things that come to your mind, but I want to uh, target today on the focal point of today in Bethlehem. Today, the present tense A lot of people may focus on other things, but I'd like you to focus on the present. And I'm not talking about the gifts around the tree. I'm talking about right now, in this moment. The uh, sermon series, if you see the bulletin card, the uh, card in front of you in 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 the thing, you'll talk about the unexpected journeys. The different journeys that are there, the seraph's journey, the sage's journey, the shepherd's journey, and today we're looking at the seer's journey. We had looked before on the seraphs. They went from heaven to earth. They actually landed at a little town called Nazareth to find a virgin girl. Wow. When you look at the unexpected journey of the sages from the east, Matthew tells us that they came from the east and they came all the way to Jerusalem and they were looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. How unexpected that was to Herod. The third group, the shepherds, they were out in their fields. They were doing what they always had done in stasis. And lo, behold, unto them, these angels appeared and told them of the journey that they were not expecting to go over the hilltop into the little town of Bethlehem. Today, we're looking at the seer's journey, the prophets of old. What did they see? And the unexpected journey is from the past into the present. Now, I believe this is a little harder to unpack than you might first have thought. It requires the eyes of faith. How do we get from there to here? How do we make that journey? They were only given glimpses of the present. I want to tell you the only way to get to the present is through the future. And that is what I want to explain in the two points of the message today. I want to show you what is expected and then what is unexpected. And I pray that that might prick your heart and we'll see, we'll get the help from the Apostle Peter as he preached this message there many, many years ago. In transition, I just want to tell you that there's a lot of things to be unexpected. I was really surprised and unexpected to get a phone call from Jerry yesterday. 
as Jerry was calling to tell me that Carol Stubbs had died. That was not on my agenda. It was so far from reality that I didn't want to believe Jerry's message until I could hear it for myself. And when I called Frank, her husband, he confirmed it with tears, with a sad voice. She's not here. Unexpected plans for Christmas. What is expected in our lives? I believe that if I, if I take you on the journey today through the pro, with the prophet's help and with Peter's help as, a, as, a, as an apostle, I believe we'll be able to see things that maybe you couldn't have seen before. The first thing is what is expected. It's the journey from the past to the future. This is expected. Right now, if I were to come and tell you something about 2016, you guys would come up with something that you're expecting for the next year. Are you expecting good things or bad things? Some of you might be excited about what's going to happen with the stock market. Some of you might not be. Some of you might really be looking forward to next November. Some of you might not be. Some of you may just be looking forward to next week when you get together with family. Some of you may not be looking forward to being alone or having dysfunction that you have to decide whether you're going to be phony or whether you're going to be real whether you're going to hold your tongue or whether you're going to say something. You see, all of us have anticipations. We, I expect it. Every Christmas, you know that your schedule is going to be full. You know that there's going to be letters in the mail asking you for what? Everybody expects this. We're not even surprised anymore. We anticipate it. But there's some things we don't anticipate. The one thing I want you to focus on at first is that with the prophet's help, we all expect a future. All of us are looking forward to something better. All of us are looking forward to something. An anticipation. The word Advent means coming. In the Old Testament, when you go through and you visit the prophets, which we're going to do, I want you to know that they were hoping that there would be some bright light that would shine because they lived in a time of darkness. So in order to explain what was expected, let's first look at the past, and then from the past we'll move to the future right quick. In the past, if you go back in the days of the prophets, which is roughly about a thousand years before Jesus came to the earth, a thousand BC, before Christ. In those periods, if you were a part of the ecclesia, the people of God, it was not a pretty time. They had endured some great moments when Solomon in all of his glory had built that huge church at, at the top of the hill in, in Jerusalem. And that was the glory days. And after that, you could just see down, 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 down. And it started first when he died and his son took over and there was a civil war and they had a split kingdom and it, it was a mess. If there was anybody alive during the 1860s in the U.S., you'd know the same kind of a mess. Brothers against brothers. Tribes against tribes. The people of God were fragmented, they were disjointed, they were, they were dysfunctional. And the northern tribes, the ten of them got together and they stayed under Jeroboam and the two southern tribes under Solomon's son Rehoboam. And you would have thought, well, they should be able to get along. Well, they didn't. And the, the kings almost, almost universally were bad kings. Instead of them getting on their knees before God and asking God to forgive our sins, they ended up creating new gods and new idols. In fact, the northern kingdoms, they actually set up two places to worship different idols besides God. What do you think God thought about them? You know, be sure your sin will find you out. 
This was the days in which people that grew up were living in either in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. And the prophets that came and spoke up, guess what the prophets said? Let's be tolerant. Let's let everybody have their own opinion. Don't pick on anybody else. Don't judge anybody. You could just imagine what the prophets said. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know nobody liked the prophets because they didn't say those things. They said they started with a word that repeated over and over, R-E-P-E-N-T. All the prophets kept saying repent, and they were telling the people to repent as well as the people in government to repent. This is the state of affairs in the past. And it was in this terrible setting that the prophets spoke those golden nuggets. Hope. Hope. Yes, it's miserable today. Yes, we're dealing with sinners. Yes, there is a problem. We're harvesting what we've sown. And you can read the details of some of the seeds that were sown, but I just wanted to tell you that the harvest was pretty crummy. And God's wrath was being poured out, and people were miserable. The book of Proverbs says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people Mourn, And there was a lot of mourning going on in those days, even among the people of God. And so you find that the prophets offered hope. They gave a future to the people. And those of you that know Jeremiah, he was the weeping prophet. He was the one that said problems are going to happen. He said there's going to be an exile of 70 years. You really love that guy, don't you? He's telling you for the next seven decades, it's going to be a mess. And if you're listening to that kind of stuff, you don't feel like there's a hope and a future. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, one of those verses I preached on not too long ago, where God actually writes through the prophet and he says to his people, I have plans for you. I have good plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to restore you. I am giving you hope. I want you to know that that's what the golden nuggets are all about. That no matter where you find yourself in any stage of life, even if you're the simplers in the hospital right now, there's hope. There's hope for a better tomorrow. When I visited with Frank on the phone, I was able to offer him hope. Quoting the scriptures and the catechisms, I could tell him that when I knew Carol's testimony, for her to be absent from this body is to be Present with the Lord. That's hope. And you see, that's the whole point of the future. There is a future that is being presented to these people, and it is what the whole 400 prophecies are all about. The gold candle is very bright, if you know your Old Testament. Every time you turn, there is a message. There is somebody saying, there's going to be one greater than Moses. There's going to be one greater than Solomon. There's going to be somebody, even though he suffers as a servant, he's going to be like a lamb before his shearers is dumb and may not open his mouth. He may be despised and rejected, but he is going to be a great leader. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to come from the little town of Bethlehem and of the government there shall be no end for he shall be great and his name shall be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Who am I quoting? The prophets. The prophets gave us all this hope and that's the journey from the past to the future. Everybody since the prophets has been living with that hope. Daniel gave a little bit more specifics. He said from the going forth of the decree until the coming of the sun, it's going to be those 70 weeks. And he spells it all out. And it has just happened if you're standing there with Peter in the text. It's about three months since Jesus came to Jerusalem. And he came through the gate and everybody said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because it was about four days later, he was hoisted up on a cross. And then he was put in that tomb. 
and he was there for three days. Up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. And in a matter of days, he ended up going to the Mount of Olives and ascended into heaven. And it was there that the disciples, those who were believers, they hung around in the upper room. They were in one accord. I just tell you, that was pretty cool. Church people that got along for that many days. And they were in accord and they were praying. And they prayed and prayed until God said, now's the time. And on the day of Pentecost, they came forth and they preached. And this is the message we got. Fright from Peter and 3,000 people are converted. But the interesting thing about this message is that it moves from the past to the future, but he brings it into the present. And that's what I'm praying I'll be able to help you to do today. So if you have your Bibles, if you would take a look again at that passage that was printed for us in the text. Brothers, I say much to you with confidence about the patriarch David, who, when he, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. All that is past tense. But he says they're with us to this day. He's starting to help connect the past and the future prophecies to the present tense. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that he would one day set his descendants on a throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Wow. He starts looking at the prophets. He starts looking at the saints of old. And he says, they looked forward in faith. They had a future where they knew a Messiah was going to come. One who was anointed. One who would deliver. Wow. And David knew that one of his sons or grandsons was going to take the throne that he was able to be set up upon. And he was going to rule forever. As Messiah says, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's what David knew beforehand. In David's present tense, he knew that God was going to give a son of David who would be greater than David himself. Now, when I look through this particular passage, I just want to highlight the journey from there to here. And the, the unexpected aspects is how do we bring it into the present tense? If you had been living there with Peter and you had watched what had unfolded, you would have seen turmoil in the government. You would have seen turmoil among the society. Jesus has just died. And they couldn't find his body. And some people said they saw him. And other people didn't see him. What are you going to believe? We'll turn on CNN and find out what Wolf Blitzer says. There was a sighting today. Really, there was so much confusion. What do you believe about the present tense? Is he a hoax or is he real? And when you look at Peter standing there on Pentecost, he says, it's real. And when you unfold that particular passage, and I just want to walk it through you real quick, uh, it is so hard for humanity to recognize the present tense that God is at work in your life even today. It's easy for us to believe that he's going to do it in the future, but it's really hard for us to believe that he's doing it right now. In Acts 2, Peter helps us to move back from the future to the present. In verse 16, Peter is, uh, verse 14, Peter standing with the eleven lifts up his voice and addresses the people. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you that you should listen to the words. Right now, present tense. Verse 15, for these people are not drunk like you think they are, since it's only the third hour of the day. He says, this is happening right now. Don't be tricked. They're not drunk. This is not a hoax. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Here's a gold nugget. This is something that was prophesied in the past about a future 
And that future is right now. And this is what Joel said. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18. Even on every male servant and female servant in those days I will pour out my spirit. And then they shall give prophecy. They will speak to the future. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the signs above and on the earth below. There will be blood and fire, vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Wow. God was telling them, hey, didn't you see it? Didn't you see it? And then he says in verse 21, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's why I find it verse verse 22 is the transition to the present. Men of Israel, listen. This Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified and killed, verse 23, this is the guy that Joel talked about. This is him. I want you to know that the Savior of all mankind is the one that was put in that little manger. That is the one. And Peter is helping them to recognize it's happening in their own time, that what Joel said was going to happen actually happened. When the sky darkened, when Jesus was on the cross, when all these things happened, and they were witnesses to it. I also want to be able to go forward in verse 26. He brings them to the present in verse 26 and 28. David says, I saw the Lord always before me, and he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. It almost sounds like he was at Bethlehem. It almost sounds like he could join with the shepherds and make known the good tidings of great joy, which were made known to him that there would be a great shepherd and people would not want as he wrote in Psalm 23. When I look at verse 32, Jesus, this Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are, we are witnesses. Present tense. We who are alive today are witnesses. I want you to take a moment and realize that when does the future become the present? All the promises that God has given in Scripture, when do they become real? Are you going to say they're going to become real one day? No. If you have everlasting life, it doesn't start in the future. It starts now. It starts today. Today is the day of salvation Hebrews talks about. I want to encourage you. Don't walk away and say, oh, wasn't it nice? Or, oh, wasn't it different? Or, oh, weren't they cute? Oh, they missed the wrong note. Oh, you know, whatever you're going to say. I want you to go away with the present tense, present God's presence. That these things that God talked about are fulfilled even today. For unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that was spoken to the shepherds, but it is still spoken to us today. And we don't need to listen to Linus to do it or have a flash mob in a school to be able to start quoting it. We should know it that it's personal to us. For unto you a Savior has been given. That's what Isaiah said. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor. Do you understand how important the future has to come to the present? And once it comes to the present, then the present to the future for us is that we have something to say. We have something else to look forward to. We have a second advent that's around the corner. And it might be sooner than any of us think. Some of you are praying for it. You're joining with the Apostle John at the last book of Revelation where he says, even so, Lord, come in two days, right? Come in 20 days. Come after our trip to Israel. No, he says, even so, Lord, come quickly. Come now. 
It may be morning, it may be noon, it may be evening, but it's going to be soon. The whole expectancy of the New Testament is that Jesus is coming again. When he ascended into heaven, the angels said to him, why are you standing looking up here? Why is your mouth open? Why is your eyes as big as saucers? You know, well, if you're watching Jesus take off like Superman, that's pretty cool. But they said, this same Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come back into the present tense. The same Jesus as you have seen him go will come again in like manner. And he will receive us to himself. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 that we don't have to sorrow as those without hope. We don't even have to fear death because when that trumpet sounds, we're going to be caught up together with him in the air and we shall ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Have rejoicing. Present tense comfort. Do you get it? You see, if you get it, then you'll realize that the future that's before us is not going to be conditioned on who is in the White House. The future that is before us is not going to be conditioned on Who is going to be your neighbor? The future is is already set. God is God. He's a sovereign king of kings and Lord of lords. The exciting thing is you're still here for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good things that God has before ordained that we should be doing. And what we're to be doing is to make disciples of all kinds of people from all around the world. And it's kind of cool these days. You don't even have to go elsewhere. They're coming here. To make disciples of Jesus Christ. Teaching them to observe all the things that he has revealed to us in his holy word. We want to go and tell it on the mountains. Not to the mountains, but to people. That Jesus Christ is born. And for unto them a savior is given. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for the message that we've been able to communicate. A king is born this day in Bethlehem. Alleluia.